What's going on? What's going on? It's your boy Johnny Fickrew, and you are now listening to another episode of the Mocha Podcast. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, it's good to uh, good to be here um, today. We got a special guest. Um, it's been a while since I've had a guest on the Mocha Podcast, um, and so I'm really grateful because uh, I got my boy Manny here. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, how Manny and I got to know each other um was at school and we were actually roommates uh for a night at our orientation and the thing i remembered about manny is his uh the one of the things i remembered about him was his uh his incredible music taste and i (laughs) particularly remember bumping um that song oldie by odd future (laughs) yeah which is uh yeah tbt because it's 2022 and that was almost like what eight years ago? No, dude, we're coming up on ten years. Wow, I think just about yeah, ten years from yeah, just 10 twenty. Years. That was twenty twelve. Yeah, that's right. Wow, it's a decade since we've known each other. Ah <laughs> oh, man, that's a tr- that's a trip. Honestly. Yeah, <laughs> it is, man. We're getting old. We're getting old. But uh, but welcome, May. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you. Glad to. Glad to host you because we're uh, we're in my kitchen in my studio apartment. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We had dinner. We got to chop it up and and, and catch up. So uh, appreciate the the hospitality um, and like yeah, let's just get into it. Yeah, so Manny, I'm wondering if you could tell the people who you are. Oh man, um, gee, where do I begin? I am well. In the context of this podcast, um, I have been uh, organizing in workplaces uh, now for, I want to say, about five-ish years now. Um, I've been pretty much since almost day one of moving to Seattle from Phoenix, um, a food service and hospitality worker. Like, I you know, needed a job when I was going to school. So started out at my school's cafeteria and then made my way through a bunch of other jobs like a hotel. Um, and then, you know, eventually, you know, found, found my calling, uh, when I organized my workplace with my coworkers at Facebook in the cafeterias and I was back in 2017. So five, five years ago, um, I am son of Salvadoran immigrants, uh, who, you know, like, left the country as a result of the civil war that was happening and all the stuff that like impacted them. And, um, you know, like I, 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 I gotta say, like, I'm blessed to be, um, who I am in a lot of ways. And, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out just like everyone else is in, in organizing and just in life. <laughs> amen. Amen, brother. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're at the, the place right now. Uh, you know, Manny, he's a, he's, he's a big music guy and you know, he's got some cool drums over there. And so <laughs> I know he likes to get down. So, um, yeah, I would love, I gotta go to a, a concert. I remember I, I pulled up to one of their shows um, I think it was at Barbosa. It was Barbosa, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. Well, well, you'll have to catch me in a in a new band that's not I'm not in yet, but I, I'm planning <laughs> to be soon. Otherwise, I'll be you know playing the funky drummer in my head and on my drums with uh, 
you know, towels and stuff to, to keep my neighbors from yelling at me. <laughs> it's, it's good that I know a number of them. So, you know, that, that helps me out, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally cool. So yeah, the reason why I brought Manny onto the podcast, um, you know, and he, you know, he already talked about this. He, he's got a, you know, background as a food service worker and also a background organizing workplaces. And, you know, lately it's been on my mind, uh, uh, union organizing, uh, but, specifically organizing uh in general has just has has really grown uh since this pandemic started is that something that you've noticed as well or has it always just been like this uh i feel like the pandemic has kind of heightened um a lot of the potential that exists in i think a lot of different movements right but uh, not to discredit all of the work that has come before me and before mm. you and before, you know, all of us that are organizing in this time period, right? But I just feel like there's a uh, a revitalizing, a, an awareness in a lot of ways of, you know, people realizing that, you know, what they're navigating on a day-to-day basis just doesn't add up. You know, mm. there's something there's something fishy about it, you know? 100%. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, um, you know, I think a lot of folks probably have also witnessed kind of, uh, you know, they call it like the great resignation, mm-hmm. right? Like people, you know, have been leaving their jobs because, yeah, to your point, think things have been fishy, and and you know, work has been very much feeling exploitative. Like you, you think about like what's happening with the teachers, you know, and and just like that lack of access to the support and and PPE and those kinds of things, and. Yeah, like across industries, it's it seems like uh, you know a lot of folks are, are fed up. Yeah, I mean, last year, I mean, everyone was talking about Striketober, right? Like all these strikes happening, uh, Frito Lay, Nabisco, um, you know, like uh, there were a lot of different things happening at that point. But then there's also been a lot of just like newer organizing happening for the very first time. Um, specifically when we talk about like the labor movement itself, but mm. you know, like we were just talking a little bit before we, we started, but you know, like the, um, the summer of uprising, you know, that was also just like a very clear indicator that, you know, like the question around race in America was like being like put up there. Right. And Absolutely. I think one thing that I think about constantly is like, how do we sustain those movements? And I think you, you and I were talking a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, what that, what that has kind of like looked like and how, and what the challenges, um, what are the barriers, if you will, hmm. of that. Um, but going back to just like labor, um, which is connected to a lot of things, which we'll, which I think we'll touch on, but like, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's exciting to see Starbucks workers rising. It's it's exciting to see. Uh, I'm going to give two shout outs to two things that are happening. So in Detroit, um, there are um, coffee shop workers that are actually on strike, um, trying to be recognized as a union, hmm. uh, and that's um, that's happening like right now. And then uh, in the North Bay. Um, there are farm workers that like pick the grapes that, you know, produce wine in like, Mm. you know, in, in, uh, Napa and all these other places who, you know, are fighting for like, you know, language justice and for, you know, like sovereignty around food and around, you know, like protecting themselves during like really insane wildfires Mm. because, you know, 
wildfire season had been pretty messed up, especially in 2020, right? Um, a lot of those workers were working in conditions where, you know, they would cough and like they would spit out like black, you know, just like Terrible. horrendous. And so big ups to those um, organizing fronts that maybe um, not many people are plugged into. I'd love to mm-hmm. share a little bit more about social media so you can learn a little bit more about what's happening in both yeah. those. But um uh, yeah, we can save that for a little bit later. Totally. I'm, just, I'm just shouting out some campaigns I know that are public and that, you know, have made some momentum in the course of, in the case of the coffee workers in Detroit, like a few weeks. Uh, and then for the case of, uh, the farm workers in the North Bay of, of, uh, California, um, you know, they've, they've been working on this campaign for, you know, several months now. So, Powerful. yeah, I'm really glad you brought, um, brought those, um, pieces up, um, and particularly around the, the farm workers, um, you know, who have, you know, to your point, been picking up the grapes and, you know, uh, thinking about, yeah, the wildfires and just how, um, terrible it is, you know, uh, to be, to like have working conditions that are like literally making you sick and, and thinking about like uh, the families, you know, like uh, that have to experience that, and just like, you know, these like wineries are not inhaling the same kind of fumes that the folks on the ground are, and it's it's terrible. And it reminds me of just how uh, how we are living in so many different crises, right? Like it's it's uh, worker exploitation, but it's also the climate crisis, yeah. and you know, I, I think. Uh, it just it reminds me of the importance of how uh, how much it's needed for our movements to kind of combine. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the times our movements are siloed, and I think even you know we were you know talking about you know the labor movement, and I'd love to hear your 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 thoughts on like you know how the labor movement is connected to pretty much everything. Um, just uh, yeah, just like the the difficulties of being siloed and stuff, but. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah, can you can you kind of uh, spit some game and, and and tell the people about the the labor movement and just how how helpful it's been? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I'll, I'll share from my own personal experience, um, having been a worker organizing my own union with with my coworkers. Yeah. So you know, I was. I was in the middle of a like crisis of like, what do I do? I just graduated college. Um, I am working at a hotel that's like taking advantage of me. Like, Hmm. you know, I lost, I lost a lot of hours um, once tourism season ended after graduation. Right. So this is like October, November of 2016, and I was in a spot where my manager offered me two shifts a week, and, you know, I just moved into a new place with another roommate, and, you know, while he carried a big portion of the rent, right, like, I felt really responsible for my cut, and so I had to really, you know, I had to hustle, which, like, Mm. I say that not as, like, a, as, like, a flex, but as, like, actually, like, um, something that was very alienating and very, like, uh, really difficult, uh, time for me, like Mm -hmm. really hit like rock bottom in a depression. Um, it was just like lost contact with a lot of people I really cared about at that time. I, 
you know, got phone calls from my mom just being like, Hey, like I haven't heard from you. Are are you alive? You know, Mm. like it's a very like jarring moment to have family be, you know, um, asking you about like you, like whether you are on this planet or not. Right. And you know, this was all, you know, I, the way to supplement my income was, you know, I, I did a, a, a side hustle of, um, teaching Spanish once a week to some second graders, which I was very thankful to that I had that opportunity because it, um, it got me into thinking about what, what it would look like for me to be a teacher. That's mm-hmm. something that I still, uh, want to do with my life. Um, Powerful. but then what that also ended up resulting in was that, um, I ended up taking overnight shifts at my hotel job. So, mm. you know, that that's kind of where things started spiraling. I like, I felt like I had lost control of everything in my life, mm. you know, like I was at the whim of what this company wanted and wh- while they made it, you know, while they, uh, while the narrative that they created, um, was that they were giving me an opportunity really I was helping them out mm. by not by you know filling in uh for a spot that they should have been paying me more for like let's be real right for real for real so I left that place just being like I want to burn the world like yeah. I don't want to be treated like this but yeah I don't know what my next step is so I walked into Facebook um started as a cafeteria worker because that's again like the thing that um I know how to do that I have experience in right um and, you know, I, I genuinely liked the job, right? I had, a I had weekends off, which I didn't have for a long time, uh, both in college and at like right after college. Um, I had a schedule that never changed. It was always set two to 11 or whatever that time frame was. Right. And, you know, like that, um, Plus not having to worry about groceries because I could like take food home with me. It was just like, cool, I'm saving money, right? Mm. Uh, but then, you know, you start to talk to your coworkers. And, you know, I remember asking one of my coworkers like, hey, like what, uh, like what do you think of this place or anything I should know? Mm-hmm. And when he told me, oh, you'll find out, mm. it kind of was just like this, like, oh, all right, this, this doesn't sound great. This doesn't sound promising. Right. And, um, you know, it took not even a full month to then, uh, be verbally like accosted basically like Mm -hmm. yelled at by a manager in front of my coworkers and in front of like Facebook techies I was serving Mm -hmm. food to. Right. Um, and so that was kind of a a jarring sort of moment because I never really felt that way like I've never had a manager like talk to me in that way before and it was really infuriating yeah uh but then I started talking to more of my coworkers, and they started you know like saying that they also had these experiences right uh, um and then you know hearing about how like most of the black workers um this was the jarring thing for me was that like all the black workers had decided to leave because of one manager And this guy, you know, would say really awfully racist things to them in like areas where, you know, he could get away with it. Right. Made them immensely uncomfortable and made them feel like he was out to get them. And Mm so, you know, like my last one of my last coworkers who um, who grew up in Kenya, like left the job. Um, and you know, for a while there were no black workers and it was just like one of these things where it's like, this is so weird. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, um, 
but you know, you start to learn about these things by just simply talking to your coworkers and getting to know them and realizing that, you know, they, they are more than just coworkers outside of a job, you know, mm. like, you know, grabbing beers with them, shooting the shit at the park, yeah. um, inviting them to concerts whenever you have them. Right. Mm. Like that was the sort of way that I started building relationships with people. And, you know, the more, like, especially after the shift, you know, everyone's heated and like energized to just say whatever it is that's on their mind about the job. Yeah. And you really start getting into the deepness of like how that cuts in their lives, mm. right? Like makes people feel inadequate, makes people feel insecure, makes people feel unstable, both like from a mental standpoint and financially, right? Like mm. we're, I was making the most money, um, that I'd ever made at that point. Um, but it was still kind of a hustle, you know, it was still yeah. kind of a struggle to make ends meet. And so, you no, know, yeah. And not to mention the like level of disrespect that it sounds like you and your fellow coworkers were experiencing yeah. at this place. And it's just, you know, it was like all the disrespect, but then like, you look at the bigger picture outside of just what happens inside of our workplace and you're surrounded by people who, you know, like make bank, like, you know, Facebook is the richest fucking one of the richest companies in the world. Right. Like, and that was definitely the case back in 2017. And when you hear about like Facebook direct tech employee workers having access to free public transit, right? Like, and us having to pay for our transit, mm. right? It's kind of like, what the hell? Like, what makes them different from us? Mm. Like, you know, I had an experience where I got, I got a fine for not paying the light rail fare. Wow. You know, it was a $200 ticket that, that Ridiculous. like, you know, I fought in court and, you know, the best they could do for me was like lowering the fine to like a hundred and something bucks and that was me going the fucking shoreline and then, you know, yeah. fighting my case with the judge and oh I still had to pay the fine in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, we, we don't have access to some of these things. Some of us live far as hell from work. Uh, in some cases, two hours by bus. Right. And that's like the way that, um, that like makes the most sense for us to get to work. Right. Totally. Um, access to healthcare is like super costly. Right. We paid for full family coverage upwards of $400, right? And that's for somebody who has a spouse and kids. Um, And with every kid you add on to the plan, the more money you have to spend on it, right? And so it was one of those things where you start learning and people start talking amongst each other. And like, you know, we shatter these, um, these like rules that I think like a lot of employers would like to have set in stone about like, you shouldn't talk about your pay. You shouldn't talk about this, that, and the third, right? But really, like, engaging in those conversations was actually part of what naturally started uh, to kind of happen where we were like, well, we should do something about it, right? Like, why not? Totally. I appreciate you lifting that up. And I, you know, thinking about, like, these uh, quote-unquote rules that are either unspoken or, or, or spoken, you know, talking about salaries and talking about all these things, um, what why um why do you think these rules are either taught or how are these rules taught in the workplace whether it's overt or covert what are the ways in which that shows up in the workplace so we'll take the example of pay i'm by no means an expert at this but like if you as a as an employer 
are able to convince people to not talk about pay, or if you set it as a standard to not talk about pay, what you're effectively doing is you are concealing the truth hmm. that may lie that um, that may lie among the coworkers there of like this person and this person like on opposite ends are doing literally the same job, but are getting paid very differently for that same job or function or mm-hmm. operation. Right. And so, you know, when you think about, um, in, in the world where, you know, people aren't paid by the hour, but rather by salary, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> that's where, you know, like a lot of conversations I've been, I've been hearing and have been paying attention to where, you know, men are coming forward and being honest about their pay grade. And then, you know, like juxtaposing that to their, to their counterparts, you know, like the women and, you know, other folks. And they're like, huh, that's a, you know, it's like, it's, it's truth telling in that, like Hmm. the company is valuing someone else's labor more so than the other person's. And in this case that I just brought up now, it's, it's simply because of gender, right. Hmm. Simply because of it, it, it's patriarchal. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, when you're talking about this, even like among workers who are, you know, on paid on, on an hourly sort of basis, right. That sort of thing happens all the time as well. It also happens when, uh, workers are like the, the difference between immigrants and non-immigrants, right. Yeah. That's another sort of way that like, you know, you kind of hide that sort of truth, even though the reality is that the work that both people are doing or that the group is doing overall is literally the same thing. Right. So I think like covertly they're trying to get away from people being aware of the fact that they're, you know, they're choosing to establish a hierarchy, even though there is (laughs) the work is the same, you know? Um, and they're favoriting, they're favoring people, um, based on like, structures and, um, by structures, I mean like, you know, uh, like patriarchy, like the, all the isms. <laughs> yeah, all the isms, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're, you know, they're reaffirming those things and they're up and they're uplifting those structures and saying that this is the norm and that if you aren't about it, then you, the door is that way, mm. basically, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that piece of like the door is that way, like this kind of, um, fear if you do not comply by these like quote-unquote rules like that I could imagine that being um a very real concern that a lot of folks who um uh working people working class folks uh think about you know when they're trying to you know you know when you are trying to have a conversation with someone and uh but they're like too scared to talk about something like this I wonder if you could say more about that Mm-hmm. about like the fear that lies in in that or yeah or just like um uh maybe the reasons why people don't speak up uh yeah i mean look i think i think at the end of the day all of us are just trying to get by you know those of us that you know, don't own our own business or who aren't executives, um, or, you know, aren't essentially decision makers in the places that we work in. We want to do everything in our power to make sure we have what we need. And that's the priority. Mm -hmm. And if we can do it by 
just like keeping our heads down and just sticking through with whatever pain that may come with that, be it physical, emotional, mental, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that really like holds us back. I think also in a way, you know, it's, I mean, I hate to to say this, but this is kind of what our school system kind of teaches us is this like sense of obedience and Mm -hmm. like, you know, just like basically saying like, don't question it just do it right like yeah. like memorize the thing um don't analyze it don't be critical of it right yeah. and so when you start to engage in those conversations or when you start to reflect about it for yourself right because it always has to start from within yourself and mm-hmm. recognizing what what is it that i am deserving of or what am i i think the biggest one is like am i even being respected mm-hmm. here you know and that respect can manifest in a variety of ways. It can be if you feel like you're not being respected based on pay, that's totally real. If it's the it's, if it's the fact that you don't have access to quality health insurance and you have a medical condition, that's of clear sign of disrespect, right? Mm. If you're not um, if if you're not able to like provide for your kids, that's another form of disrespect. But mm. if you're just berated by your manager or by a boss or are constantly harassed either verbally, sexually, whatever, right? Like those are all forms of disrespect. And it's, again, it goes back to, do you feel like you're being respected? And if the answer is no, then you kind of start to unfold all of the things that, you know, that like, (laughs) are actually like under the surface of, you know, Mm. uh, of like what all of us try to do, which is just simply get by and survive. Mm. You know, we, we all find ways to cope. Um, and that's real in the workplace and that's real in the community too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and part of the, the, the system of capitalism, right. Is that we are, you know, especially if, you know, you do come from, you know, family backgrounds, you have like, you know, the needs of like, you know, your kids or whatever, like, you know, it's sometimes, you know, like even thinking about, you know, my experience too, like, uh, there have definitely been times where I've had jobs where I've been getting by uh, and not and not necessarily getting ahead or just trying to like plan. But I'm just like, you know what, like this, I'll just do this for a couple of months and then I'll just like transition out, you know. But, you know, I think there's something to be said about uh, in some ways like actualization and, and, and getting to, you know, understand and realize that like, hey, like what I'm experiencing at this workplace that's not okay for me, but it's not okay for anyone to experience, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing that actually, it's a question that I sometimes entertain when I'm talking to workers is that like, would you let your work, would you let your kid Mm. work in the conditions that you're in? Right. Powerful. And it's kind of like, you know, like, cause I think a lot of ways, I mean, I'm not a parent, so, you know, don't, (laughs) don't, don't like, uh, don't chastise me or, or, uh, whatever. But I feel like, you know, children are very much a a reflection of you as a, as a, as a parent, right? Like Hmm. you see a little bit of yourself, whether you want to or not, because in a way they are, you know, like hundred percent. And so it's like, if you're not willing to let your kid walk foot into the job that you're at, what does that say about how you feel about that place for yourself? Mm. You know, 
So that's a question I like to ask sometimes um, when I'm when I'm talking to workers or when I'm even like thinking, you know, when I'm even talking to anybody that's like not involved in the organizing I'm doing, right? Just asking like, you know, like, would you, would you, would you let your kid do this? Mm. And if not, like, why, why are you willing to do that? Right. Mm. Powerful. Damn, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I think oftentimes when we're in that, like, uh, survival mentality is that like, we like either compartmentalize or, or like, we don't, we don't, um, we don't stop and think to question ourselves or question like what is happening to us. But I think having conversations, you know, like with your coworkers and, and, and actually like understanding like, yeah, this is not okay. Um, can help further the conversation. Like it it can help, I guess, uh, start to move, uh, get the gears turning for, yeah. I mean, it it is quite literally a form of, of unlearning. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is, it is a way when people start to ask those questions of themselves or when they engage in those conversations with other people, they are reaffirming their humanity. They are reaffirming that what is happening is actually not okay. Right. Cause we, cause when we're, when we're isolated, I mean, this is true in all, in, in every sort of organizing that, that exists. Right. But like you can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. That's the plain and simple. There is no, historically, I do not think there is any movement that has existed where it's been a one-person show, Hmm. you know? Facts. I think think history, the way that history is taught and the way that history can be framed likes to do that, right? Or they like to put figures, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're we're in, you know, like, um, I didn't share this with you earlier, but like, um, for the I Have a Dream speech, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone is like thinking about MLK specifically, right? But um, I was I was part of a, a meeting with some workers where you know we started looking at some other photos that are lesser known, and you know what was cool was that like one of those photos um, in the background you have these two uh, these two other black men wearing like what looks to be like white uniforms, right? And you come to find out that those people are. Um, are basically like the equivalent of like a dishwasher, mm. uh, like like dishwashers in like a cafeteria or something like that. And they had been asked to basically act as security for 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 Dr. King. Whoa, right? And these are just like regular ass, like you know, like workers who were like part of a union, and they were like, "Yeah, of course we'll do that." Right? Mm. Um, That's incredible. That's- yeah, it, you know, just just to just to say, right, like. There are many other figures that yeah. like are not they're not the the like the heroes that we sing about, but they are the they are also a part of why we know Dr. King's name and why we know all these other big figures, right? Like I have Zapata right there, right? He wasn't mm. he didn't do things on his own. He brought people together, right? Mm. <laughs> and it was and and that's a huge part of what 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 organizing is, and that's definitely true in the context of your workplace. You mm. know. Yes, yes. Something that we were talking about earlier, um, you know, uh, and correct me if I'm mis- uh, mis- uh, mistaking the, the phrase, but it's, you know, if you can if you can organize your workplace, you can organize your community. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Okay. So what I mean by that is that I think the workplace 
is oftentimes one of the places where we spend most of our time outside of our homes, right? 40 hours. 40, I 60 mean. 60 to some. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for me, it's sometimes 60. I'll be real. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Uh, but yeah, it's like 40, 40 hours, right? Eight hours a day for five days a week, right? And mind you, this was, you know, this is a standard that was set as a result of like radical leftist um, labor unions. Like I'm not saying all labor unions are going to have this sort of approach and I'm not going to shit on other labor unions for that either. But what I will say is that like it was radical unions Mm -hmm. uh, who were doing, you know, wild, like radical, you know, like direct action sort of stuff Mm -hmm. that got us the weekends and stuff like that. Right. And so, um, Right now, I feel like in this day and age, uh, the workplace is oftentimes the most scary place to have these real conversations and be truth-telling with one another. Mm. Uh, it's something I'm continuing to learn in my own organizing and like being, uh, you know, like having mentors around me, like continue to remind me of that because um, I sometimes can, can lose sight of it, which is so easy sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, it's like, like I think workplaces are battleground zero because we spend the most time there outside of our homes. Um, it's a place where, you know, like things are like, if you don't have that job, like what do you do? Right. Mm -hmm. As, as a working person, right. Like if, if I didn't have my, my job at Facebook, right. Like I would have to go and find another job. And I'm not saying it was, it would be difficult, but I'm just saying like the reality is if I, if I didn't go job searching, I would go into a place where I would not have a roof over my head. I would not have food in the fridge, right? I wouldn't even have a fridge, right? Mm-hmm. And healthcare, healthcare, right? Like even and like, <laughs> don't get me started on healthcare. I didn't even have healthcare under the company at Facebook, right? I, but I fought for it with my coworkers, and you know, as a result of that, like many of my coworkers started to go see the doctor mm. and they were able to go treat things that they hadn't gotten treated before. Uh, but going back to the, you know, if you, you can organize your workplace, if you can be truth telling and honest and real about how the workplace impacts you, not just in that it makes me angry, but actually getting deeper into the reflection of it and mm. being real about like, actually like, I'm not getting paid enough to feel like I can create a future for myself. Or Hmm. again, going back to the question of healthcare, I don't have access to healthcare through my work and the options that exist through the state, I don't qualify for because I make too much. And the options that are in the private market are too ungodly expensive for me as well. So Hmm. like you're kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place. And so being real about why you need to make change at work, especially if you work for a place that very, very clearly has the means to be able to provide you access to some of these resources, right? Like Hmm. it's not like Facebook is hurting hurting right now. Like it wasn't, and that was definitely not the case in 2017. They totally could have, you know, um, they totally could have like paid our company, right. To, to pay us more and to give us access to healthcare, which ended up happening. Powerful. And so, when you're able to actually have those conversations in, in a sort of scary environment that it, that like you and potentially other people that you care about depend on, imagine what that's like to be able to go and knock on the door of a neighbor 
Mm. or someone who identifies with you based on your skin color or based on your language or based on country of origin, right? Like those sorts of like conversations then become a lot easier to engage in that truth telling and organizing is truth telling really, Mm. you know, powerful. And so if if you engage in the truth telling at your workplace, um, then imagine what that truth telling can look like on an even broader scale. Absolutely. In the community. Yes, yes. And we were talking about this earlier, too, just, like, the importance of truth-telling, um, uh, especially in, like, movement spaces, uh, workspaces, all spaces, really, but just how, how, just, like, the benefit of being able to, like, say something that could be scary, uh, but also honest, and and just thinking about how how our movements can be so much stronger if if, if we feel safe and to feel feel comfortable to really to speak our piece and you know i think to the earlier piece that manny was dropping is that like we have to we have to do this we have to get into truth telling but before we can do this is is we have to like build relationships right and relationships are key in order to to get truth telling um because we got to be vulnerable and you know i can be vulnerable but i definitely need that support i need someone else to be vulnerable or we need to be vulnerable together you know it's gotta it's gotta work because these things are scary i mean like imagine imagine this right like so you know bessemer alabama there's an organizing you know there's a there's a a, an election that's happening it's a it's the second time that these amazon workers have gone through this right Mm -hmm. but let's go back to when the first election happened right if you're being inundated with like anti-union propaganda, if you're being told all these sorts of like all this slander and lies, um, if you're, if you're being, you know, surveilled, which, you know, like has been happening and like will continue to happen in all these sorts of organizing contexts, right? Like that's what, that's what the state, that's what the bosses, um, are doing, you know, but like, Imagine you as a worker going up to a coworker and saying, Hey, I want you to, I want you to, to, to do this thing with me hmm. without any sort of context of like, I know you and you know me. Hmm. Right. And then, but then having all these other factors around you, right. Like, 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 I don't know if I were in that position, I would not know what to think. I would like, if I wasn't, if I didn't have the political framework that I have right now and I'm just somebody who just is like trying to make a living and trying to fucking get out of whatever dire circumstance I'm in, I'm going to try to do what I know is best for me, which is survival, Hmm. you know, and surviving at least in the, in the way that capitalism has, has like created for us is, to just again put your head down and obey and obey and obey and don't question it, mm. you know. And then maybe every now and again you'll get a bone thrown for you yep. for your for your efforts, right? Like that was something that Malcolm X would say, something about uh, like watch out for the concessions, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, those things they they uh, they could be sweet, you know. They could be like holiday bonuses or like. You know, maybe a, a pizza party, a as, pizza. as 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 the like internet has lovingly joked about. Yeah, yeah, or even places like I got like at the end of the year, I got like a towel or a blanket, and I'm like, this blanket is nice, but you know, being able to pay for heat would be nicer, right? No, I swear to God, like at Facebook, um, there'd always be leftover like you know T-shirts and hats and. 
you know, I remember like all my coworkers would be like, oh yeah, I got a shirt or I got a jacket or I got a water bottle and shit. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I'm not going to say like, oh, fuck that. Because if you want a shirt, you're going to want a shirt and who, who am I to judge? Right. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm, I'm on that same point. Right. Like, but actually how about, how cool would it actually be to have healthcare? Yeah. <laughs> how cool would it be to in my case, how cool would it be to have a machine that pumps oxygen into your brain so that you have a longer lifespan, mm. right? Like that's a, you it's know. a lot cooler than the t-shirt. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, exactly. <laughs> it lasts longer. And yeah, that's the thing. It's uh, yeah. I think um, thinking about how our, our movements can stop, you know, or like get, you know, with either like uh, propaganda material or just like um, small ways to kind of, uh, uh, you know, I guess, tear the momentum in some ways and and yeah i'm sure you saw a lot of that in your time yeah i mean you know like i just talked about bessemer alabama but one that's that like i a campaign i was working on um for you know the last four months of 2021 you know was working uh working with hello fresh workers in richmond california and they were you know they were organizing their union and you know, just like in Bessemer, they lost, right? But um, I think I told you this uh, before we started recording, but like, you know, if if those workers hadn't organized there and in Aurora, Colorado, uh, they would not have, they would not have pushed the company to, uh, to like actually give them raises, hmm. right? Like I know... I know simply because um, the Aurora and the Richmond workers were like, you know, had some consistent contact in ways, right? And so we were able to learn a little bit about what was happening on the floor there. And they learned about what was happening for us in California. But, you know, there were workers that went from like, they basically almost nearly doubled their their hourly pay. Incredible. In the course of like six months. Wow. Right? Like huge huge and they and they lost they lost the election they lost the vote you know mm. and that was through like the company paying anti-union consultants $3500 a day wow plus paying for their food their air their air uh what am i saying their Fair. flights their yeah. airfare their hotels their you know their yeah. rental cars other reimbursements like all that stuff Amid all that sort of stuff, amid all the pressure that they put on those workers, even though those workers lost the union, a they're still fighting. Facts. They're still they're still saying, look, the the place is still bullshit. This this place still fucking sucks. Yeah. But even more importantly, they they were able to make changes that mm-hmm. like actually had an impact, right? And it forced the company to cough up the money. Powerful. And there's something to be said of when you you know, quote unquote, yank the power when you, when you get a taste of, of being able to make a change, you know, it's not something you, you know, you probably want more of that kind of energy. (laughs) I mean, isn't that what all of our movements want? Right. Like, and, and I think in some ways, some of the losses for, for some of us organizers are even the bigger motivation to want to come back to the work. Right. (laughs) Every loss is a lesson. You just got to think about it. You know? Every loss is a lesson. I learned a lot of lessons on that, on, you know, in that organizing, um, that have definitely helped me understand how I can be present, uh, in these conversations with, with workers and, you know, how to insert myself in a way where like, 
you know, actually I have gone through some of these experiences Mm -hmm. or if those experiences are far from what I've experienced, at least like I can recognize the emotional toll it has had and, Mm -hmm. and connect with my own personal experiences of how I've reached that sort of emotional toll as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, it's like organizing is learning and losing is part of why we come back and also part of why it is important that like we cherish our victories. Right. Mm. And so I, you know, I cherish my, like, like the fact that me and my coworkers won at Facebook, right. I hold that near and dear to my heart and I try to share that out with workers all the time because I want them to know that there is a path and there is, there is that hope, you know? Yeah. But this is possible. It is possible. And it, it requires us getting a little uncomfortable, you Mm. know, that's what it, that's, that's really what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I really appreciate your, your wisdom and your experience and, and, you know, I think thinking about, uh, yeah, back back to this like this truth telling, and you know, I think something that you mentioned just when we before we were recording was how um, you kind of uh, kind of learned through your own experience of um, how organizing and kind of like you know you could have a plan, you could have a campaign, you you could do it a you know a particular way, um, and how it could just happen like. Uh, I guess what I'm really trying to like ask and stuff is like, uh, how do we move away from this, um, perfection mindset in terms mm. of organizing? Yeah. Uh, Cause that's something that I struggle with. Like, you know, with the campaigns that I run, you know, I'm like, okay, we're going to hit, you know, point A to point B to point C. And then we're going to finally, you know, at the very end, it's going to be the rah, rah or whatever. But yeah. it's like, sometimes those things don't happen. I mean, Honestly, the pandemic kind of allowed me personally to grapple with this question, right? Because here is the context. I was I was starting to work directly with members of, of our union who've been around for a long time. I'd been doing a lot of new organizing where I'm bringing more workers into the union and building the movement and you know, making worker power stronger in the city of Seattle and, you know, like was doing that in other cities as well. Right. And then March of 2020, I remember being at, you know, T-Mobile Park, uh, March 13th. And I remember seeing all the shit on CNN and like what was going on in Italy with the lockdowns. And then I started hearing about all the stuff happening in our state and Mm -hmm. like, learning about like COVID happening, like, like being found, you know, like, like near home, literally. Right. And I saw the, the, the hospitality and food service industry just crash, Mm -hmm. you know, like people being on unemployment for the first time in their lives and having been members of our union, 20, 30, 40 years in some cases. Right. Um, undocumented workers not having access to unemployment whatsoever. And so, a lot of them being like, I don't know what to do, but I'm terrified of getting this virus and like possibly dying. Mm. And others being like, well, it's either my f- family has food on the table or, you know, we, we like fall by the wayside. Wow. And, you know, it's kind of like when you, when there's a crisis, right. Which is, which is totally happening, right. Like our, our membership like plummeted, right. A lot of people were not working during this time. Like 
we were doing a lot of direct services of like helping people with unemployment. We were doing, uh, you know, trainings on how to, you know, basically get people access to some of the resources that were out there. And we were doing fundraising so that undocumented workers in our membership had access to some sort of resources, right? Um, There were all these sorts of things that we were doing, but then the question was like, what are we doing to like fight this? Because at the end of the day, if we don't have a way to expand or grow, we're going to die as a movement, right? And so at that point, you're kind of like, oh, well, literally, if we have any ideas to try anything, we just have to go for it, right? Mm -hmm. That was what that that in huge that in large part is like why you know you i am really excited to see all these other you know all these other workers not just in our industry but like in other industries across across the country like are doing these exciting things and you know like again going back to just like i was in a headspace where i was like i'm not doing anything right you mm. know i'm like having conversations on the phone or on zoom with workers, like trying to think, trying to be like, I'm, I'm an expert, but I'm really not. Mm. And so it really put me in a position where I felt like I don't know what I'm doing. And I felt deeply anxious and, and to the point where like, I felt like almost like I couldn't move. Mm. Right. Like, and like, you know, I made a, I made a decision to pivot and say, actually, this is not a formula that like is going to be sustainable for me in the movement. Like mm. it's going to make me want to leave it. Right. Cause it's like, why would you be part of something when you feel like you're not adequate or capable? Right. Facts. But I think also like it was a very clear understanding that like, if we don't try anything, right. If we just stay stagnant, like nothing is going to happen. Oof. And if we leave it, if we leave it to the powers that be right we are going to be in a world of hurt. And I think that's what a lot of people are starting to realize. And so like that was being able to experience that in a sort of like in the course of several months to like a year um, helped me just realize and understand like, Hey, like maybe the words that come out of my mouth aren't the perfect way Mm. of, of, of putting the idea out there. But like at the very least, am I just, am I willing to, get into that truth telling? Am I willing to, you know, be, uh, upfront about what is happening or like, Mm. am I being, will, am I, am I being even honest with myself? Right. And the, the honest, the, the truth, the, the honesty is not always perfect and it's, and it's not clear and it's not clean cut all the time and it can be messy and it can be filled with mistakes. But at the same time, like, I don't know, isn't that kind of what it means to be a human in a way, right? Like one of, one of the many sort of things that, that, that make us who we are is that like we are going to make mistakes and that's fine and it's like we're being able to learn from them. 100%. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. 100%, yeah, because at the end of the day, like thinking about this, like this, uh, you know, you know, you take a look at, uh, like, white supremacy culture, and one of the pillars of white supremacy culture is, like, perfectionism. And I, I think it it's permeated, you know, in, in so many of our, you know, movements and our identities because we live in, you know, 
white supremacy culture. Like that's just what it is. And yeah. and I think uh, your your example, your your story of kind of like what you experienced, you know, at the start of the pandemic, and like how you realized like you needed to pivot or you needed to, like the willingness to you know try something or to know that like not trying or not doing anything was going to make things worse, but also just like. Yeah, your your self awareness of like, yo, I need like, I need to like, you know, pivot. Like, I need and, to do something. And and if I'm being honest, I would not have come to that realization if I didn't have people around me Ooh. to like say more. Well, I mean, you know, I I had I had a select number of people around me in the union and outside of the union, um, workers. Um, staff members who were doing the work that I was doing or work adjacent to that. Um, other people who were involved in other movement building or who, you know, are also just experiencing the pandemic and just like, I don't know what to do. Right. Like, yeah. Through, through having conversations with those people and learning from them or, you know, for them to share their own experiences of like how they're navigating this was also like a very, eye-opening experience for me to understand that right like Uh, you're seeing me right now the people who are listening to this can't see this but like i'm pressed up against the wall and i'm i'm intentionally doing this right now to serve the purpose of like if someone is right here and i'm here if i want to continue to see the next day i'm gonna have to do something about the person that's in front of me keeping me from moving uh, and the only way the only thing is either I stay where I'm at, where I'm at, and I don't do a thing, and then I lose oxygen or whatever you want, you know, whatever happens. Or I push the person out of my way, mm-hmm. and I do, and I go and and liberate myself, right? Wow. And I get myself out of that situation where I feel trapped, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a beautiful thing that I think we as people um, have constantly shown over the course of time, right? And that's happened in so many other movements that are not part of the labor movement and definitely in the labor movement. Um, Some of the strongest people I know are, you know, people who like clean toilets for a living or like, you know, put hot food on a table for for people to eat or, Mm. you know, are greeting people as they walk into a stadium and watch their favorite performer or watch their favorite sports team, you know, like uh, do their thing, Mm -hmm. you know. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely dropping a lot of gems tonight. I really appreciate Manny. And, you know, I, there's something about um, the truth telling that you're doing even right now about like what you've learned and, and your experience. And I really appreciate that. La- the other piece of like, it was, it was other people that helped me kind of get to, to where I'm at and just, yeah. Remembering in some ways that like, you know, uh, what we're experiencing with this pandemic with, with, with capitalism, you know, with white supremacy, with all of these things is these things are really toxic. And, and to remember that we are each other's medicine, you know, and being able to, to share space and hold space and, and relate and, and, and speak those uncomfortable truths, you know? Um, and that's, and honestly, that's not the thing that everyone thinks about when they think about labor organizing, right? A lot of people think like better pay, better healthcare. And like, those are, those are components, right? But no one says, Oh, I want healthcare. Like, no, what they're actually saying is like something a lot deeper, right? Mm. Like for me, healthcare is important because 
my family has long history of heart disease and other sort of like conditions, including sleep apnea, which is something that I have treatment for thanks to healthcare that like I was able to fight for and win at my workplace. Right. Hmm. Like it goes deeper than just like these themes of healthcare. It's like when we hear Bernie Sanders or when we hear other people talk about these sorts of things, it's not just like a luxury. No, it's actually like a way for us to sustain our lives uh, in a way that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. Right. Hmm. Like, you know, I've been talking to people who are worried about losing healthcare and then what the cost of their prescriptions are going to be without that, right? That's a conversation I've been having ongoing since the start of the pandemic, right? Hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it labor organizing is just like any other organizing in the sense that, you know, we have to be honest and you know, that's a, that, that I think is like more of a, like a strategy, right. And, and also an intention. And I think you, you had another word for, for this as well. Um, and I'm blanking on it right now. All good. All good. Um, a tactic or, well, no, it wasn't even, it'll probably come up after the pod. Yeah, after, yeah. We, after we, we, we pause. This is what we'll do. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, <laughs> we'll find the word and I'll throw it on the caption. Okay. But, um, <laughs> You know, people are always like, oh, yeah, it's about elections. It's about contracts. And, yeah, it is all about those things. I'm not going to lie. Like, that is some of the work that's involved, right? Like, you know, get have, holding companies accountable via a legal, legally binding, you know, agreement between the workers and the employer is a huge part of the work. But I think, like, for people to have ownership, agency, and more importantly, power in enforcing those rights – um, and to, you know, hold their managers and their bosses and their companies accountable, right? Like, isn't that kind of like what organizing is in other spaces, right? Like we're trying to hold government officials accountable. We're trying to hold, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, people with power accountable. That's really what, yeah. what those are kind of like some of the like basics, right? Like a hundred percent. It's all, it is all interconnected. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much, Manny. This has been a really beautiful experience and so great to catch up. Um, yeah. I wanted to kind of give you the platform. Um, you know, I, you know, I, you mentioned the two uh, two really cool things happening, yeah. and I wonder if you wanted to maybe look um, where people could find information about those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really grateful. Um, you know, Manny is uh, like just a solid, solid individual, and like <laughs> I appreciate you know it's just like you know he mentioned like thinking about you know possibly becoming a teacher like having had experience doing something like that and you know i feel like i'm learning every second of this day man like this podcast is you know it's so enriching um but this like friendship you Mm -hmm. know you know we uh you know we talked earlier like uh uh it's been like 10 years since our freshman year and it's like 10 years later and you know we're still here and we're still chatting and you know, we're scheming, we're plotting, we're trying to make the, you know, our community safe. And uh, I'm forever grateful for you, Manny. Manny. Yeah. yeah. I'm grateful for you, man. And you've been, I know you've been just all over <laughs> Seattle, King <laughs> County, just fucking doing all these amazing things in the community. And again, I think it's a diversity of tactics. And, you know, I'm always, you know, Workers are the community and the community is workers, mm. right? Workers I, are the I, people. Workers are the people. And so um, the two shout outs I gave. So um, if you go on Instagram, 
that's that's the platform I'm mostly on these days. I'm not a I'm not as hip to TikTok, uh, mm. although I probably should get on because <laughs> everyone else and their mother is on it, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, Comrades in Coffee. Um, so it's a Detroit Metro Detroit baristas building a movement for a fair hospitality industry, uh, and they're doing this with our union, Unite Here, um, but with the local that's based in Detroit. Um, and these are workers who uh, are part of uh, Great Lakes Coffee. And then uh, the farm workers I was talking about, to learn a little bit more um, about uh, what their efforts are, um, the group that's been, you know, doing a lot of the organizing and, you know, bringing these, like, indigenous leaders forward from, you know, different parts of Latin America is uh, North Bay Jobs with Justice. So North Bay JWJ, also on Instagram. They're doing a bunch of cool things. Um, Shout out to the REI workers in Soho who are, you know, going through an election process, right? Uh, Shout out to the now over 100, you know, Starbucks that are organizing um, across the country here, right? Um, And, you know, like, everywhere we go... um, you know, solidarity forever, you know? I was like, going to say, the people always know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> solidarity forever. And, and and if there's one thing that I want and, and everybody on who's listening to, to have as a takeaway, you know, if you want to organize your workplace, right, um, there are so many different sort of uh, resources that are out there. Um, you know, there are unions who are willing to like pick up phone calls and, you know, strategize or engage with you all or find ways to like build power. But I think like before you even take that step, step number one, if you don't have these relationships, build the relationships with your coworkers, talk to your coworkers, learn who they are, share about who you are. And, you know, like, again, like organizing is relationship building. And so if you are able to build trust uh, among your coworkers in a way that, you know, like actually uh, allows for you all to feel compelled to mobilize and to, um, you know, really like grapple with these questions of uh, are we being treated with respect, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then I think that really helps with you know, the sort of other sort of like logistical steps, right? Um, I think people get hung, like really carried away with like learning all the ins and outs about the organizing uh, as far as like the legality and like what's possible. And I think those are really important questions to grapple with. But if you're not engaging in the work of actually connecting with your coworkers, like you're missing the point. Hmm. And I don't mean to say that in a rude way. I just mean to say that in a very honest way. Um, because I want people to succeed. I want to see workers win. And, uh, the only way we are going to win is if we talk to each other and talk about these things honestly and openly. So you heard it here, folks. You got the truth. You got some truth telling, uh, uh, wisdom in the building. And (laughs) I really appreciate you, Manny. Um, we'll have to have you on the podcast, uh, for probably a different conversation. Yeah. Maybe your drum kit. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk more, but thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate for sure. it. Of course.